0: What is sin? Why can't sin just be ignored? If God is love, why does it matter? There is generally a spectrum of responses when we talk about the topic of sin. In many churches today, it's just something icky, something we need to avoid, something that's going to hold us back from our best self our full potential. To many in our culture, it's just an archaic concept used to guilt people. Sin is something that we must be liberated from. We must be liberated from these outdated ideas. Often in our culture, our solution to the problem of sin is just to excuse it, ignore it, maybe even celebrate it. Our neighbors have such So drank down the Kool-Aid that they see no problem with sinful acts or those things that God calls sin. And look on those who seek to honor God as ignorant and backwards. As many of you know, I try and stay out of the political sphere as much as possible, but this week our government celebrated that which God damns. Consider this headline. Vermont's first trans lawmaker gets engaged at a rainbow-lit White House. Now, I don't say that, and I don't read that headline to give you a political answer. I I read that and think that we should read that headline more as John the Baptist looking at Herod having his brother's wife. We live in a culture that at best downplays sin as icky, and at worst celebrates the very things that God hates. We do not fully grasp passages like the one we will read today because of that. So friends, what is sin? Wayne Grudem says, Sin is any failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, attitude, or nature. Acts are the the breaking of God's law. Sin is committing acts that run counter to God's instruction. For instance, taking that which is not yours, stealing. We, we spoke a few weeks ago that sometimes stealing is sticking a candy bar in your pocket, but sometimes it's blurring the lines on your tax return to get back more money than you should. Taking that which is not yours. It is committing adultery. It is the act of slandering another image bearer, gossip. But it's also attitude. Sin is an attitude contrary to that which God calls good. In the Sermon on the Mount, Christ prohibits sinful attitudes such as anger or lust. Paul prohibits attitudes such as jealousy, anger, and selfishness. Just because it is not outwardly evident does not mean rebellion against God is not taking place. But sin is also our nature, our very essence. Who we are can be sinful. If we are not in union with Christ, the Bible teaches that we are sinners by nature. We are sinners when we sleep. We are born in rebellion, children of wrath. Friends, sin is serious. Sin is rebellion against your Creator, the very one who created you. Sin must be dealt with. Which brings us to the topics of priests. Donald Hagner writes. In his commentary on Hebrews, until one gains an adequate sense of the overwhelming majesty of the thrice holy God, and simultaneously a true sense of one's sinfulness and unworthiness, one is not in a position to understand or appreciate the importance of priests and their work. So, what is a priest? Well, we have to look back to the Old Testament the history of priesthood. A priest is a mediator between God and man, a minister of holy things on God's, on man's behalf to a holy God. Prior to the Mosaic law, to the the law of Moses, this priestly function would have been fulfilled by the heads of family. But after the Mosaic law, the first head priest was Aaron, and his sons are the ones who filled this role. Israel's priests are men separated unto God. They were separated and consecrated to a holy calling, and their main function was to officiate atonement, to offer sacrifices to God for sin. Remember what we said a few weeks ago about Old Testament in, about sin and atonement in the Old Testament, and broadly speaking, an unblemished animal would have been brought to the door of the sanctuary. The guilty party would have confessed their guilt, and that guilt would have been transferred to the animal. animal. I don't know why I can't say that word today. They would have placed their hand on the animal's head, transferring their guilt to that animal, and then that animal would be slain instead of the guilty party. Friends, that is how seriously God takes sin. It is an offense against His holy character and incurs His holy wrath. And in the atonement, in this sacrifice, we find at least three things. God's wrath against sin is satisfied, sin is cleansed, and fellowship is restored. And all of this is mediated by a priest. So right now, some of you are thinking, so far this is not shaping up to be a very Christmassy sermon. But oh, it is. It is, friends. Because the darkness of our sin is what makes the light so glorious. Right now we're lighting up Christmas trees. A Christmas tree, when you're driving home at 5.30 after work and you see it in a window on a dark rainy night, it looks nice, that light shining out into the darkness. It kind of loses something on a beach in July. July. Without the backstory, we have no reason to sing joy to the world. Why are we joyful? What victory has been won? So friends, as we think about this victory, turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Hebrews chapter 5. Actually, we're going to start in chapter 4. Chapter 4, starting at verse 14. Hebrews chapter four, starting in verse 14, we read, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. For every high priest is taken from among men, is appointed in matters pertaining to God for the people, to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he also Clothed with weakness. Because of this, he must make an offering for his own sins as well as for the people. No one takes this honor on himself. Instead, a person is called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not exalt himself to become high priest, but God, who said to him, You are my son, today I have become your father. Also says, in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. During his earthly life, he, was, he offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was the son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. After he was perfected, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And he was declared by God a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord. Father, thank you for your word. God, thank you for your word that teaches us who you are and who we are. God, thank you for your word that teaches us our sinful nature that we might rightly understand and grasp who we are. Thank you for your word that teaches us your holiness, and that you were not content to leave us, but sent your son in the fullness of time, born of a woman, to die for our sins. God, give us a fuller understanding of that plan of redemption today. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus Christ is the great high priest. And in this passage, we find three reasons why Christ is the great high priest. First, Christ is the great high priest because he does not need to atone for personal sin. Second, Christ is the great high priest because he is appointed by God the Father. And third, Christ is the great high priest because he is of a greater priestly order. First, Christ is the great high priest because he does not need to atone for personal sin. Look with me at verses 1 through 3. For every high priest was taken from among men, is appointed in matters pertaining to God for the people, to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and going astray, since he is also clothed with weakness. Because of this, he must make an offering for his own sins as well as for the people. Since the high priest presents offerings and sins for human beings, it is necessary that he also be a human being. He has to be human to represent the one who he is offering the sacrifices for. He cannot be an angelic being, cannot be an elf, cannot be a hobbit. I've talked about Lord of the Rings more than I normally do this week, so... That's what's on my mind when I was writing here, but he could not be a hobbit if such things existed. He must be a man. A man to intercede for men. Aaron and his successors were all men. They were all men among the people. They felt the same pressures that the people felt. They got hungry when the people were hungry. They had the same weather that they had. But given the fact that Aaron and all of his successors were fallen humanity... Before they could offer sacrifices for the people, they had to offer sacrifices for their own sin. Before they could represent the people to God, they had to make sacrifices for what they had done in rebellion. But Jesus Christ had no such problem. Because He is holy. Because He is without sin. Hebrews 7.27 said Jesus had no need to offer sacrifices for His own personal sin. But still, he represented man. Because he took on human flesh. He felt the entirety of the human experience. As we talked about a few weeks ago, when we talked about Jesus being fully man. He got hungry. He got tired. All of those things. He could represent humanity in atonement because he was one of them. But he was not fallen humanity. Hebrews 7 also says that Jesus was undefiled, innocent, set apart. He is true humanity. He is humanity without sin. You see, sometimes we think that we in our human nature will say, well, I'm just a man. We think that fallen humanity is true humanity, but friends, it is not. Christ represents true humanity, humanity that is faithful to God. As we read this passage, we're confronted with verses 7 through 9, and it may seem as though Jesus had to gain some righteousness or that he was on some trajectory of righteousness. But as one commentator wrote, Jesus was both obedient and perfect before the cross. The notions of learning and perfection that we read here in Hebrews have to do with the progressive accomplishment of God's will. We know that from all of Scripture, We read that Jesus is holy. He is without sin. He never sinned. Sin did not have a landing pad in his heart. He never had an inclination to sin because he is God in the flesh. The high priest had to represent the people in his atoning work. But also we read that the high priest had to have a divine appointment. Christ is the great high priest because he is appointed by God the Father. Look with me at verses 4 and 5. No one takes this honor on himself. Instead, a person is called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not exalt himself to become high priest, but God who said to him, you are my son, today I have become your father. The same God the Father who calls Jesus Christ's son installed him as permanent high priest. Friends, the the office of high priest is one that can only be granted by God alone. He is the one who makes high priests. Donald Hagner states that the priests of Jesus' day were illegitimate because they had been appointed by human rulers rather than God. You remember the interaction Jesus had with the religious leaders of his day. Those were men that were installed by the politicians of the day. Their appointment was political, and the people of God had fallen away from following God faithfully and began to rely on other methods, human methods, political methods, rather than what God had said. Look with me at Mark 11. Turn with me, keep your finger in Hebrews because we'll come back to it. But turn with me over to Mark 11. A passage we went through. almost a couple of years now ago. We'll be starting in verse 12. This is one of the infamous Markin sandwiches. So as you're turning there, remember that there was a a literary um, technique of sandwiching things together, like things together. And so it would seem almost that these, three, these two stories are not connected. But by the way, they are sandwiched in this chiasm, this mark and sandwich, we know that they are. And here we have the temple being cursed in between the story of the fig tree. Look with me at verse 12. The next day, when they went out from Bethany, he, he being Jesus, was hungry. And seeing a distant, in the distance, a fig tree with leaves, he went to find out if there was anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. He said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. They came to Jerusalem, and he went into the temple and began to throw out those buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves and would not permit anyone to carry goods through the temple. He was teaching them, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. The chief priests and the scribes heard it, and started looking for a way to kill him, for they were afraid of him, because of the whole crowd was astonished by his teaching. And when evening came, they would go out of the city. Early in the morning, they were passing by and saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. Then Peter remembered and said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. Friends, sometimes we think the message of the temple story is Jesus saying to the religious leaders, come on, guys, do better. You can do better than this. Stop messing around. But Mark shows us by his literary structure that in that moment, Jesus is condemning the entire system. The Jewish religious leaders had failed to produce fruit just like the fruit tree. And because of that, we see that the high priest and the scribes, it was a political system. They were not those installed by God but were illegitimate. And unlike these illegitimate political system leaders that were appointed by human rulers, we read here that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was appointed by His Father. Appointed by God. Look at Hebrews 5, 4-5. through 5. He says, Christ did not exalt Himself to become high priest, but the God who said, You are my Son, today I have become your Father. He is the one that appointed Jesus as high priests. Christ did not exalt himself. He was not some mere ambitious man, but he was the Son of God appointed by his Father. You are a priest, and a priest forever. In Psalm 119, the Father proclaims the Son as the high priest, a priest forever in the order of a key Old Testament figure. So third, we see that Christ is the great high priest because he is a greater priestly order. Look with me at verses 6, and then we're going to drop down to 10. Also says in another place, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Drop down to 10. And he was declared by God a high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. Jesus Christ is a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. What does that mean? Who is Melchizedek? Who is this guy with a 75-cent name that's hard to pronounce? Well, on one hand, we don't really know, but we know enough. We know enough about him. He shows up in Genesis 14, 18, and then he vanishes as soon as he comes. We read in chapter 14 that Abraham has just returned from rescuing his nephew Lot, His nephew Lot has been taken captive by these folks, and Abraham rides off like something in an old west, and and with his men, and, and they get Lot back, and they take all these spoils. And then on their return, they run into the king of Salem, that is, Jerusalem. And we read of this high priest to the God Most High that blesses Abraham. And Abraham gives a tenth of his spoils from this this raid, this wild rest raid to go rescue Lot. He gives a tenth of the spoils to this king priest named Melchizedek. Melchizedek shows up in 14. He blesses Abraham. He receives a tithe from Abraham. And he's gone as quickly as he come. And we don't see him again until Psalm 9, one And then we see him again in the New Testament. And Hebrews 7, 3 states that Melchizedek remains a priest forever. And in that same chapter where we're reading about Melchizedek in Hebrews, this Old Testament figure, we read that Abraham paid a tenth to Melchizedek, that Levi and his sons, Israel's priests, receive a tenth from the people. But they're all descendants of Abraham. Therefore, all of these priests that are receiving tithes from the people have they themselves paid a tithe to Melchizedek through their ancestor Abraham. Furthermore, we read that Abraham was blessed by Melchizedek, and the writer of Hebrews says, "Is not the inferior blessed by the superior?" So in this paying of the Israel's priest to uh, tie through their ancestor to Melchizedek, and the fact that Melchizedek, the, the king priest of the God most High, king of Jerusalem, blesses Abraham, he says, Melchizedek is a priest of the higher order, a priest forever. If you're ranking priest right now, here are the sons of Levi, here's Melchizedek, of a higher order, and he remains a priest forever. And Jesus Christ is a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, according to this higher order, the one that Abraham, the patriarch of Israel, has paid a tithe to. God the Son was declared by God the Father to be a high priest in the order of this king priest of Genesis 14. And because Jesus Christ did not have to atone for His own sin, because He was the perfect Son appointed by the Father, and because He is of a higher priestly order than the sons of Aaron, Jesus Christ could and did offer the perfect atoning sacrifice on the cross for His people. The great high priest offered Himself As the perfect sacrifice. The spotless lamb. The one who takes away the sins of the world. The cross, friends. The cross of Jesus Christ is the final and climactic event of the Old Testament sacrificial system. We don't need any more sacrifices. It is finished. In the blood of Christ. On the cross. There will never be another sacrifice. Not one that means anything. There will never be any more blood on the altar in Jerusalem because Jesus Christ is the supreme sacrifice and the temple bale is rent. And for those who believe, God's wrath against sin has been satisfied. The sinner's sin debt is cleansed and fellowship with the holy God is restored. And there are three things you must do in the light in light of the truth that we have just read about this great high priest. Three things that every single person in this room must do in light of the fact that we have a great high priest, friends. And the first one is you must repent and believe the gospel. You must repent and believe the gospel, friend. No matter how far you run, no matter how loud you shout, No matter what your teachers have told you in school, no matter what you read in the internet, every single one of us will stand before a holy God. And those loud teachers and those bloggers will not stand beside you. Friend, you are accountable to your creator for breaking his law and he will hold you responsible. If I did not tell you that, I would not love you. If I let you go through this life thinking everything's okay, you're not going to stand in front of a holy God, it doesn't matter. Friend, I prove that I hate you. But I love you enough to tell you that in light of the fact we have a great high priest and that we are all born sinners, you must repent and believe the gospel. You deserve eternal death. There is no other option. You have broken His law. I have broken His law. And if you want to be restored and be friends with this holy God, you must repent and believe. You must turn from your rebellion. You must believe the good news that we have heard today. The good news that we celebrate now. That we are all fallen short of the glory of God. God created the the universe perfectly, but sin entered the world through men wanting to grasp at God's glory. And because of that, all of us inherited a sin nature. But God sent forth His only Son, born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem, born in the city of David. The eternal Word became flesh. God that all of the universe was created through became a baby in a manger. Walked a perfect life. And was crucified for the sins of the world rose after three days, ascended to the Father. Friend, you must believe that and turn from your sin. God tells us in His Word that He will forgive everyone who turns to Him. Everyone who truly believes the Gospel and turns to Him, He will forgive. If you truly believe, friend, pray. Confess your sin to Him. Confess the fact that you know you are a born rebel. State that you trust His promises. And thank Him for His mercy. And then turn. And live a life that honors Him. According to His holy word. So the second thing you must do in light of this great high priest. Is to flee from sin. Friend the visual evidence. That you have been bought by this high priest. That His, his atoning sacrifice is sufficient. Is a holy life. And I know some of you. Maybe some of the church people were raised up in a, in a church that said where the preacher said, hey, if you just walk the aisle, come down here and say these words, it doesn't matter anything that happens after that, you're good. Friends, the Bible does not teach that. Or maybe you're into the Reformed theology and you say, well, I'm justified by faith alone, so that means that nothing I do matters. Nothing you do matters in earning your salvation, but what you do post-conversion does. Because the Bible teaches that. Just listen. We must not celebrate or partake in the things that God said bring His wrath and death and called our Lord to be nailed to a cross because Paul reminds us that we were raised to new life. That we are new creatures. That we who have had the blood of Christ applied to us, are we going to continue to live in sin? By no means. May it never be. Paul says, Christian, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. That's Paul. John writes that in his first epistle, if we say we have fellowship with the light, yet walk in darkness, we are liars. If we say we have fellowship with this light, the light that broke into the world, the the dawn into the world, if we say we have fellowship with him, yet we walk in darkness, we do the things he hates, we we excuse it, we're okay with that, we are liars. He writes that if we love the world, the love of God is not in us. Just look at our passage today. Look with me at verse 9. Verse 9, Hebrews 5. He became the source of eternal salvation for all who, what? Obey Him. Does that mean we earn our salvation? Absolutely not. But those who obey Him prove the fact that they were gifted this great salvation from this high priest. Christian, the second thing that you must do in light of the fact that Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, is the great high priest is to flee from sin. Flee from the sin that he died for. Third, rest in Christ's perfect sacrifice. Friends, understand that when you do sin, you have a human advocate who sympathizes with you in your weakness. Christ is eternally existent. He is fully God. He is always God. Yet, he became man. He knows what it's like. To walk among us. He knows what it means to feel the pressures that we feel, and he can sympathize you. And when we do stumble, and I think it's one of those words, stumble, that we use so much we forget what it actually means. To remember to stumble is to be walking. So as we are walking with the Lord and we stumble, we don't just lay there, right? We we keep walking, but when we do stumble, know that we have an advocate that sympathizes. We are called to flee from sin, but John also writes, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. That is not a license to sin, but a comfort that when we fail, we have a holy advocate. God made flesh, the one whose advent we celebrate, will keep every single one of those from whom he died for. So the three things we must do in light of this great high priest is first, repent and believe the gospel. Second, flee from sin. And third, rest in Christ's perfect sacrifice because he is the great high priest. He is the great high priest because he has no need to atone for his own sin. He is the great high priest because he is appointed by God the Father. And he is the great high priest because he is of a greater priestly order. Friends, this Advent season, understand that the reason Jesus came to earth is because we needed that perfect advocate. Human priests would not do. Human priests were not enough. Human priests, the blood of bulls and goats, as we read, would never save. But the good news is, today, as that Jesus Christ did come, the Word made flesh came to earth, and he is our perfect advocate. Even the most wicked sinner is not too far gone for this great high priest. Even Vermont's own first trans lawmaker is not beyond his reach. Friends, the answer for our wicked world, the the answer for our own sin, the answer for all of the darkness around us is not a movement. It's not a rebellion. It's not a political system. It's not a platform. Friends, the answer to all of this darkness is Jesus Christ and his gospel, his light. We live in a fallen world that the needs most to hear is the gospel, and we should pray for the conversion of sinners. We should share the good news everywhere we go. We should faithfully live out our faith in a lost and dying community because mankind must have a perfect intermediary between Him and a holy God and we know who that is. In His great mercy, God provided such an intermediary and He came to earth 2,000 years ago born of a virgin, laid in a manger in the city of David. And that is what we celebrate this Advent. Understand that Jesus Christ is the great high priest. Father, we praise your holy name today for Jesus Christ, that we have a high priest, For we know who we are. Even those who think that they are sinless, even those who among us think they have nothing to confess deep down, God, we know from Romans 1, it's like holding a beach ball underwater. They can only do it for a while, for it pops up, and they realize their sinful nature. So, Father, those among us who do not believe the gospel, who make excuses, God, those among us sitting in this room right now who think that they do not need you and that their sin is no need to be atoned for, God, I pray that you would break their hearts. Give them no sleep. Draw them to yourself. Mercifully save them. Help them to understand their need of a Savior. Replace their hearts of stones with hearts of flesh, all for your honor and your glory, I pray.